Hello and welcome to another episode of the uh, the greatest podcast on God's green earth, Football Unfocused. Uh, it's well, it's not, it's shit, but you know. <laughs> you that was an attempt at um, self-promotion. Me and Matt, I'm Mark, that's Matt. We both do this together. You know the, you know the drill by now. And if you're listening for the first time, thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Please listen more than once. Don't judge just by the first uh, minute. Judge just by the second minute, which is even worse. <laughs> Matt, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, the, the, we, we've been getting a little, a few more listeners over yeah, the last... quite a few Americans. Uh, quite, and that's what I was going to say. So I'm a bit concerned. They may think we're talking about American football. No, I think it's more that they, uh, maybe they think um, that those <laughs> zany English lads talking about soccer, <laughs> uh, that maybe, maybe... I don't know, I'm being incredibly patronising here because an awful lot of people in the United States know a huge amount about football and they're, they're growing as a sort of force in, in the world in terms of their impact upon football. America, the women soccer team. Indeed, indeed. Um, but uh, I, may, there, is a, there is a chance that maybe we've been listened to by some people who are learning about the game and we've been, we're being mistaken for experts. <laughs> Um, in which case, I have to tell you, much as we love you listening, you couldn't be more wrong. Um, you know, go to go to somewhere well, more. Speak reputable. for yourself, Mark. Well, yeah, that's true. Actually, you'll know. Yeah, if, if this is your first time, you'll notice that I'm kind of a bit sketchy and uninterested when it comes to football. Whereas Matt's the, it's, it really is his, his passion, his lifeblood. Matt, yeah. First question. Uh, it's not the question. Weekly bollock update. Anything to add? We're, you know, your gonads really are on the. Um... <laughs> this is on Twitter. Someone, said, as Sean said this on Twitter, he said, "Open with the bollock update <laughs> or something like that." It was. It was. It was Stu. Uh, Stu, so you're oh, getting, sorry. You're getting that oh, wrong. No. We've only ever had about two tweets, and you're still oh, not fuck. having the courtesy to remember the name. Oh, I'm so sorry. And he Stuart. said, "Always open with the the bollock update." And sorry, it's what Stuart. people are tuning in for. Yeah, and yeah. and I wish I had something more interesting to say, but the GP hasn't got back to me. Right, so the saga continues. Another week <laughs> where no no uh, progress has been made. No further news. I mean, it your gonads hurt. are in limbo. Yeah. <laughs> For many reasons and on in many yeah. and on many levels, but yeah, but they don't hurt as much. Well, that's, uh, sure. So that's good. And did you did? And I assume you didn't get anything regarding the cycle bib short. No, and I'm going to be more explicit. Advice. I just listened as I I normally do. I tend to listen, as I've said before, to the previous <laughs> week's episode about 15 minutes before recording this shit, just so <laughs> I remember what I said last week. So there's some sort of continuity, and also just to make sure somebody listens. Um, <laughs> And um, uh, I realised that I'm, I was maybe a little bit too vague. Philip Gibbs. <laughs> Fi- this is going out to you. Philip Gibbs. I- I'm pretty sure you listen to this podcast. You are, sure. are the head of our Madrid delegation, our loyal. Uh, uh, we get the better viewing figure, listening figures from Madrid than we do any other part of the world. Yeah. You are the cycling, the, the person who knows more about cycling than anyone uh, that I know, inclu- even including uh, uh, Matthew, <laughs> who I record this podcast with. And, he, and to be fair, he does know a lot about cycling. Um we asked a question about a particular brand of shorts that hurt Matt's bollocks, um, and we wanted some feedback on that, uh, specifically and, 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 and preferably via Twitter, but uh, uh, we've received nothing. Matt, do yeah. you just want to remind Philip 
uh, so that he can inform yeah. you. So, Philip, they were a pair of Castelli bib shorts. I don't know if I was wearing them around the wrong way or something, but basically I was getting shooting pains in in my bollocks uh, that kept me up. <laughs> Kept me awake during the night. It would. It was awful. It was all. I, I'm thinking back now, and it was oh, awful. I'd, I'd drift off to sleep, and then suddenly, yep. I'd sh- <laughs> yelping out, um, waking oh, myself God, up. That would have been incredible. Imagine being like if you're in a hotel and a person in the adjoining room just <laughs> randomly <"Aah!" laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> wow. Just ask Joe, yeah, she'll tell you exactly what it was like. Yeah, yeah, she will, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for her memoir to be published. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she'll just probably Talk brush over the last 14 years. <laughs> yeah, or just brush over the last 14 years. And yeah, just yeah, about it'll how just be, she met somebody else. No, it'll just be focused purely on her successful career. So it'll just say personal life, nothing to report. Uh, yeah, really is. Nothing you know, of note. No, really, really quite underwhelming and disappointing. Um, Right, so good. So, I, I mean, um, Philip, please give some feedback as to whether that is uh, typical of those particular brand of shorts or whether you can make a recommendation on something that will give Matthew the requisite level of bollock support and comfort that he needs. Uh, Matt, yeah. uh, I have the usual three opening questions to learn more about you as a, as a human being. I'm going to rattle through them quickly. Matthew, <laughs> what's your favourite body of water? Oh my, this feels like a, um, uh, like word association or something. Well, it's not. It's a very Is simple question. You're always looking for hidden meaning. My I, questions are always <laughs> at know. face value. It's a simple question, uh, Matthew. My fa- Anything that can be a body of water. A, you ocean? Know. Oceans? An ocean is a body of water. I'm down to it. Yeah. <laughs> are you just saying a oceans? Glass of water. I like oceans. I like a glass of water. I'm not sure that's a body of water, no. Okay. Uh, a lake is a body of water. A pond is a body of water. Okay, probably a lake then. Lake, ocean, pond. That would be my. No, I'm talking specifically, you mug. I'm not saying. I did, my question wasn't oh. rank the different types <laughs> of body of water. <laughs> Do you prefer a lake to a ocean? To an ocean. And what about yeah. a sea? What about a bay? Um, lake, bay. No, no. Ocean. You're answering the wrong question pond. once again. What is your favourite body of water? I'm talking about one body of water, your favourite, you know, so it could be the River Thames, for example. Oh, it could be okay. the Indian Ocean. It could the, be the, the Tyne. It, I quite the, like the, the Tyne. Tyne. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant answer. I do like that. To be fair, it's a beautiful body. river, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It looks, nice it kind of feels it. really like wild and clean, doesn't it? Compared to a lot yeah, of like yeah, rivers yeah. that run through cities. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We, more, more so than. The Thames. Oh yeah, yeah. More so than most uh, sort of city rivers. Yeah, but yeah. then yeah, but then most of it kind of goes through, I think, rural areas and wilderness, doesn't it? I think Newcastle. The Tyne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think so, it's high time you've visited uh, again. <laughs> uh, oh. Just by the way, if the if the uh, Northeast <laughs> Tourist Board are listening, we are available for bookings. Um, <laughs> for promotional second work. Second question, Matthew. What's your favourite sandwich? Mm. Uh, probably so it'd be something like a sourdough or uh, french stick situation with um, veg- vegetarian sausages 
some vegetarian cheese, vegan cheese, tomato, maybe a bit of salad, a bit. Yeah, a cheese and tomato sandwich. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cheese and tomato sandwich with 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 a vegan sausage. Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. I don't know. Oh, this is. Well, you d- you say you don't salad? know, but you answered that very okay, decisively. Yeah. No, it's because well, that's what I have every weekend, and it's what yeah. I look forward to. You're, so that's I a bit that... of me, to be fair, Matt. We don't have a lot in common, but that's something that we I think we're on the same page in there. That, what? You know, weekend sandwiches? You have something a bit different at a weekend for your breakfast as like a treat, don't you? And like you know, Well, what you have for breakfast sees you through the entire day. <laughs> it does on a Saturday, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a breakfast of champions. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to reveal what it is because uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Final question, Matthew: What's your favourite common garden bird? Um, an, a nuthatch. Okay. What? What is that? Is a bird? As a bird? I'm sure I'm probably being really ignorant here, but I I hear a lot of people. You know, I hear a lot of talk of birds. I see birds. I have bird feeders in uh, what counts as a a back garden in the East London area. I've never come across or met or heard of a nuthatch. Yeah, yeah. No, that's probably... Um, well... It shows my ignorance, doesn't it? It's my loss. <laughs> Quite. Yeah, You're yeah, currently no, looking up the nuthatch, my... can't you? I can see your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're darting around. You're making sure that... That is a real bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're, they're quite small, I think. Very small. I think somebody probably pointed it out to me or said, okay. or said, there's a nut hatch in your garden. And then <laughs> I just don't know where to go with that. So I'll just stop talking. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to learn as much as I can about the nut hatch in the next week. Uh, just yeah. quickly, before we start talking about the, the, the main topic, particularly one, in, I know there's one that you want to talk about. Um, I don't know whether you noticed that last week we, we I spent uh, a lot of the um, the sort of content part of the podcast uh, bitching about the FA and their lack of consideration for the FA mm. Cup semi final location. Uh, yeah. and you may have noticed that uh, since then they have um, kind of um, dug their heels in and decided that the semi final between uh, Manchester City and Liverpool on Easter Saturday will remain at Wembley Stadium despite there being no trains. And their concession is to put on. Um, 50 coaches um, to the sort of uh, to both clubs that are going to be paid for by the FA. I mean, there are so many things that I think are are wrong with that. Um, Not least that you're taking one of the things that I love about football in this country, as opposed with the greatest of respect to our US listeners, to the culture around American sport is. America in general being a kind of more individualised society in which people kind of take responsibility for their own their own sort of travel and, and as a result they're, they're you know that's why they always say if everybody lived like an, an average American the, the world would need about 450 times the resources that it has because they're, they're a, it's very much a car driver's nation they kind of re- largely reject the idea of kind of utilitarian public uh, 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 modes of transport. And as a result, they're kind of their big events, be it like you know, kind of gigs and and big sporting uh, occasions, are geared around getting people there in their cars, parking in massive, you know, parking lots, you know, concrete jungle, etc. 
I really enjoyed the kind of the, I think the European South American football experience is much more kind of utilitarian and it is around you emerge from the you know the various transport hubs the stadiums tend to be kind of in a city and you travel together and uh, that that has always kind of been you know one of the best things that I think about football in this country you go and watch any London football club no mum drives do they they go they get on the tube and uh, and then they kind of the walk from the station, the excitement, the build up and the atmosphere that, um, you know, everyone kind of walking together, the smell of the food vans, all that. It's really evocative. It's what makes, you know, one of the many things that makes football so alluring, particularly when you're young and first getting into it. And the FA, they, they, well, they're an impotent organisation and they are also a hypocritical organisation. And they they love to preach and show off about how socially engaged they are and how they are into um, kind of environmental initiatives that are going to uh, lower the carbon uh, footprint, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then they're rather than um, allowing people to go to a local neutral stadium on the weekend of a on Easter weekend, which will be a very busy weekend on the roads anyway, as people travel for all sorts of leisure and family related activities. Uh, their their solution to that is to dig their heels in, make people go on a kind of you know a, a four or five hundred mile round trip, and to add an additional kind of fifty or a hundred. I can't remember if it's fifty each or fifty across. I think it's just fifty across two teams, um, two clubs. Uh, add that together, to the already packed motorway system. And I mean, I, I, and also just purely on a on the on the sort of logistic numbers um, part of it as well. It, it doesn't get anywhere close. Each club is being given 34,000 uh, tickets. So 68,000 of the 90,000 capacity at Wembley Stadium will be the, the kind of hardcore fans who are who have the requisite kind of loyalty points for, for both clubs. La, you know, the majority of them, despite them being international, having international following, the majority of them will live within the region that the clubs are based. And yet they... Uh, they're only laying on enough for about, I think it's around 5,000 uh, each to get down to, to Wembley. So what do the other, uh, you know, 28,000 or whatever, uh, 29,000 um, uh, do? It's, it's, it's inadequate, it's inept, it's rubbish. The only good thing I suppose they've done is the kickoff time isn't as I suspected it would be, like half five in the evening. It is half three in the afternoon. So people, although they probably are going to face arduous complicated journeys to and from at least they might get home before the clock strikes midnight but it's inconsiderate it's disgraceful and it's not surprising and it just yeah, it just turns my stomach but anyway that's just an update because i've listened i've just listened to last week's episode and uh, i thought it would be worth feeding back on something about which i was exercised last week but matt <laughs> you have a content idea didn't you for this week and <laughs> so, sel- so seldom that they're you know, you sometimes send them to me and I immediately just abuse you or reject you. Did. You did. This was one of the few you were like... Was this one? I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's, it would, maybe wouldn't I'll be my first call- choice, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll indulge you. So go on. The floor is yours. Okay. So I was just going to say, my when um, my dad had a season ticket, we would drive to Tottenham. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean... We'd drive there, out the car, straight to White Hart Lane, and then... Tories. Afterwards... Yeah, just get back. Tories don't like public transport, do they? (laughs) No no offense. So it was it was like one of those suggestions, like, oh, what if suggestions? And it was 
the idea, I guess it was off the back of your um, uh, criticisms of Mike Dean last week. Well, well, and well I was... sorry, sorry, let me stop you there. I was not criticising Mike Dean, I was honouring oh, well, Mike not... Dean. The great Mike the no Dean. Look, the no-look yellow card, was yeah, that not a criticism? I loved a guy. He, I oh, genuinely do, I'm not taking the piss, I oh, absolutely love right. a guy. Oh, right, okay. I love his arrogance, his aloofness. <laughs> uh, I think he's absolutely magnificent. The way that he doesn't, we need more he doesn't that take any shit from these fucking spoilt, pampered bellends that he has to referee every week. He just doesn't take any bollocks from them. He's just like, no, fuck off. Take a yellow card. I'm not even, I'm not even going to look at your face <laughs> while I book you. Now clear right. off. I've got some chickens to murder. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering whether they should start paying uh, refs a lot more. Uh, so I yeah. came up with a figure of about a hundred grand a week. Yeah, an extraordinary um, figure. So, and the the idea was, you know, so I, the the salaries between the refs in other sports. So I guess I'm thinking of something like rugby, are much more comparable to the players, whereas the refs' salaries in um, football are, you know, pale into significance to some of the top earning. Premier League football. Yeah, I was so, going to say you could. Uh, you, they would be more comparable to a low, low league footballers, but yeah, in in the, yeah. at the very top. We should always yeah. remember that even in the Premier League, even in the Premier League, it's only a collection of maybe a hundred players mm. playing for the real elite clubs or at the more wealthy um, clubs in which they are the kind of star player that are earning the you know hundred and fifty, two hundred grand. And even upwards from there per week. Most Premier League players are probably, I don't know, on about 70, 80 grand a week, which is still an, mm. an extraordinary amount of money. But it's not, you know, not everyone is um, um, Lukaku. Yeah. And so, and I guess I felt that if you paid referees that much, you would, you would more likely get <clears throat> former uh, top flight players um, going into refereeing rather mm. than necessarily just focusing solely on coaching and manager, manager uh, becoming a top manager. Um, and and the fact that Premier League managers are paid so much has probably been a huge success on getting former Premier League footballers into, oh, not not necessarily Premier League, so I mean, I guess I'm thinking Lampard or Gerrard into coaching, but there's also international um so you're suggesting Sorry. that the reason that Lampard and Gerrard have, have made it to the top level of coaching relatively quickly is because of the financial incentive? Um, I think there's obviously more of a draw for people like Lampard and Gerrard to get into managerial like, work I, 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 I rather strongly than disagree with that. The, the, but, but those, we're talking about those the guys top... are multi-millionaires. They, they, will have, they will both probably have, I don't know, 50 million quid in their bank accounts they don't they never need oh, to yeah, do yeah. lift a finger again so they don't the, the, what they're paid as managers is immaterial they're managers because of their their ambition to to manage is combination and also kind of something to do isn't it for the rest of their lives. i don't think you need to <laughs> managers are paid an awful lot of money because they have a, a kind of high stakes high pressure job but yeah. it's not really the that i don't think that if you paid manager and also, also i think there's a there's a, a case that a successful organisation, the guy kind of heading it up and responsible for everyone's performance probably should be the, either the highest earner or among the highest earners, you know, otherwise his position could be undermined. If he was on yeah. if he was on in a you know a year what his best players were on in a in a week, then I suppose that would be a bit ridiculous. But I don't think if you suddenly 
cut that away and said, we're not paying managers anything anymore or we're going to give them, I don't know, like minimum wage. I, I'm telling you, they, they would still do it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if if they were on minimum wage as a manager but could earn 100 grand as a ref... <laughs> <laughs> right, I think, right. I've heard this type of conversation quite a lot over the years, like when people are talking about how you raise refereeing standards. Yeah, yeah. So the biggest, the, the, one, of the, one of the key criticisms that players and ex-players will make towards referees is they've never played the game at the higher level themselves. A lot of them not even played the game at the lower level. You probably don't even need to play at the higher level. If you've played constant football all your life from like a kid up to like a, a young adult, even if you've not gone that far in it, you still get a sense of kind of what's a what's a particularly bad challenge, what's a malicious challenge, what where intent lies, where you know, all about how, your body positioning, whether a handball would have been deliberate, all of those types of things. And the criticism that is, always gets thrown at referees is they don't understand the game because they can't see it from a player's perspective. They don't f- have that feel for the game and as a result make strange, sort of unaccountable decisions. Um, and I, you know, you do often hear, it's been kind of a much, um, a much kind of often repeated trope over the years that you, you, the best way to kind of ca- remedy that is to get ex-players to, to do it. And... Um, you know, and I suppose a, a, a tactic that might attract them is to offer some bigger wages. But I don't think there is an example of a of a certainly in the professional game anyway in in this country um, of a former player who has gone into refereeing. I think one of the obstacles is it shouldn't underestimate how long it takes to qualify to be a top level referee. You can't just just because someone was a good player and um, theoretically understands the game. Look how many good players who theoretically understand the game go into punditry and as soon as they open their mouth you realise that they're completely ill-equipped and they've played the game their whole life and yet they appear to understand nothing about it. Um, (laughs) And I suppose the same would be true of referees. Like, you know, a lot of these refs have been um, uh, sticking on their uh, all-black outfit and donning their whistles since they were teenagers in order to kind of get, you know, when everyone else is kind of playing the game, they're the... They're the sort of little twats who want to tell everyone off and control everything, spoil everyone's fun. Um, so, but, but you know, so let's just say that the the younger, the younger, probably the, at the end of the scale, the youngest end of the scale that someone could make it into the Premier League as a top level referee, because you've got to go for an awful lot to get to that stage, would be late twenties. I, I mean, I haven't, I, I maybe could or should have looked into. Um, sort of some of the Premier League refs over the recent years, kind of um, how old they were when they got to that stage. But they certainly kind of look late 20s, early early 30s, and then they go up to anything up to like mid mid to late 40s. I think Mike Dean's pr- pretty much around 50, um, and that's when they kind of asked to go. So if a player retires at 35, and it then takes them 10 years, say, let's be generous, to get to the standard that they would need to in order to make it to the Premier League, then they're 45 uh, before they've even got started. And that's towards the kind of upper end of the scale in which you'd be asked to retire. Because they, it's actually quite controversial. I think they kind of, they, they push referees into sort of retirement or semi-retirement based on their age rather than their fitness, which actually feels a bit unfair. As long as they're still performing, they should be able to do it. Um, so I do think that, there are definitely logical reasons why a ref, why an ex player would make a good ref, but I don't think you can kind of generalise. And I, I personally am not necessarily convinced that paying them 
like the the very elite players who don't need the money, they're just never going to want to do it. Imagine like you know Zinedine Zidane retiring from football and and then suddenly appearing a few years later as a referee. That's never going to happen. Where you might get some success is players that have had to retire early through injury and want to still have a part to play in the game and weren't necessarily kind of playing at the top level. So if you were a, a League One, League Two, even a National League club and uh, had to retire in your like sort of Eddie Howe style in your like mid mid twenties or something, um, then yeah, you you theoretically then have the ability to kind of understand the game, look at it from a player's perspective, have that kind of instinctive feel, and also have the the kind of motive and the time. Um, but I I don't think um, interesting as it would be, I don't think we're ever going to see, um, <laughs> you know, like. Xavi and Iniesta suddenly turning up in the La Liga um, uh, referees panel for the reasons that I mentioned. But I do, yeah, I mean, and also, is it like people often make the um, the case with MPs, don't they? They'll say, oh, they all want their second jobs and they, you know, a lot of them have got lifestyles that they need to maintain. So they kind of need rather than want their second jobs. And if you paid them more, then they wouldn't need it and they would be more focused on being an MP and better. And I again, I can see a logic to that, but I'm 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 still not sure it can. It's it's quite as simple as that. I do think there's a case for you know paying people in important jobs the the right salary, um, but I don't know if you suddenly if you took the referees that are there now and suddenly gave them all a you know a, a benchmark salary of of like along the line of what the footballers earn, like say hundred grand a week. Are they suddenly going to be better? Are they suddenly going to make better decisions? I, I don't... They're not, Yeah, no, not necessarily. But I think it would um, uh, sort of improve the credibility, maybe, of of the refs or include... Well, how, would that, how does that work, then? Well, you're saying that they'd have more credibility if they were richer? Oh, no, if they were a former player, sorry. Oh, right, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, because that then... The player, but yeah, maybe also because they're richer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you're, how, you really doff your cap. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So you're like an old school like surf, aren't you? You, you really like to <laughs> yeah. bow down to the. the... Oh, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thank oh, please, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, an extra shilling. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I I do agree with you to a large extent. In that I think that there, it's it's perfectly reasonable to kind of have an appetite because. You only have to look at like this season. But VAR, the introduction of VAR was initially really quite shambolic. And you had these ludicrously long hold-ups in a play. And um, there'd be it felt like you know everybody's kind of looking at endless replays of often quite innocuous incidents to then not necessarily even make the right decision. Although, of course, no matter how much you try to perfect the decision-making process, there'll always be a certain um, amount of... Um, um, oh god, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, subjectivity uh, when it comes to um, football decisions, because there, you know, it can't be. There is with things like whether the ball's gone over the line, whether someone's offside. Then that 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 is kind of an exact science. But intent about handball, or or um, whether a foul was severe enough to warrant a red rather than a yellow card, etc. There's always going to be different people who will look at that and see a completely different incident. Um, and I suppose it would maybe stop the criticism of, well, you've never played the game, you don't understand, and that's ridiculous. Because you do, you do now 
despite the fact that these referees are kind of highly trained and have gone through process after process and are scrutinised kind of beyond belief, they still do make some baffling decisions. Um, I mean, I wouldn't... I think being a ref is actually a much sweeter gig than it used to be. Like, if you went to football in the sort of 70s, 80s, and even your 90s, like, a lot of the kind of crowd noise in any given game is just outright abuse at the referee. The second he starts making a bad, a wrong decision, you're on his back, you're singing and screaming all sorts of like horrendous stuff about them. But I think now the nature of the football, you know, the nature of the football crowd has kind of changed. It's become kind of the average age is older and it's maybe a bit more middle class. But also I think that the, the introduction of VAR has kind of almost transferred the abuse. People now just get angry about the kind of the system and the hold up. But they're also, bizarrely, I'm, I'm probably contradicting myself, but I think they're probably a little bit more trusting in the decision or just a bit more, like, accepting of it. Like, you used to get an... If, in the old days, if someone hit the crossbar and it bounced anywhere near the line, people are going mental if the goal's not given for ages, you know. And obviously, if you're if, if it's your team, then you're the ones who have, who've, who've been, uh, been done there by an unjust decision. Whereas now, the technology has completely removed that. You know, the, the referee either gets a buzz on his wristwatch or he doesn't, and everyone just moves on. And you don't get, you don't get crowds who are sort of two, three minutes after that incident still... Um, carrying their beef about oh that ball must have been over the line because they know that it wasn't and I think it's the same now if if uh, if you're in the stadium it might be different when you're at home because you've you've seen that it's probably still a controversial decision but if you're standing there in the ground and all of a sudden you see a ref go over to a little box or uh, to look at a replay or kind of um, evidently um, communicating with someone on an earpiece and then the decision gets overturned or changed or whatever. Um, in the ground, you kind of you 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 accept it. I think a lot more, and you it doesn't feel to me, certainly in my experience, that then a lot of that transfers into kind of abuse on site abuse of referees in the way that it used to. I mean, when I first started going, it was um, yeah, it's, it's horrendous. You'd look at them and go, "Why would anyone ever do that?" You've got to be some sort of sociopath who just enjoys being like uh, being a hate figure. Um, yeah. So but uh, I think I was just going to say so uh, um sort of a family friend who was a, a top footballer their two sons became footballers mm-hmm. um and one of them has recently sort of looking to retire or has retired and he's now looking to be a tiler um and the parents are like well we wouldn't employ him as our tiler sort of thing so <laughs> so it would I think it so, would give so they have no faith in his ability to tile yeah, well yeah and and it's sort of um you know, being a coach or a manager, I mean, that's big responsibility, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. You know, not everyone necessarily going to be suited, but, no. but a ref, you're not really in charge of control, you know, well, managing... Uh, no, but you're in charge match. of controlling a game of football. Yeah, yeah, but it's not quite... Highly trying... emotional. Yeah. It's a highly charged but, atmosphere. It's a high-pressure, yeah. highly charged atmosphere. You're really... But it's a different It's a different sort of responsibility uh, where some some people may be easier with it being a ref than having to be the manager or the coach because that's yeah. like week in week out or day after day you're coaching there's no i suppose there's no so, letting up from being a coach whereas if you're yeah. a ref if you particularly if you're if you've got a strong enough constitution where you can immediately kind of get over any errors you've made or abuse you might have heard then you can just like you know do a little warm down have a shower and then you're off home and you don't have to think about yeah. it until the next game um, yeah. whereas a coach I, is is literally it's a full-time Sort of almost like a care role, isn't it? Yeah, no and, letting and, up. 
And we talked as well, I think this is actually off outside the podcast, about, you know, while while the, the supporters are possibly a little bit more well uh, middle class, maybe, you know, the, the players are still probably more from a, you know, working class um, background, maybe lower social economic background. And and so they're not necessarily going to, if they're not earned, if they haven't earned the big bucks during their time playing, you know, having an opportunity like to go into refereeing and earning a decent wage could be... Um, yeah, and I agree with that. And I think that's that's kind of in line with what I said. I think you'd probably get more, it would bear more fruit to target the uh, lower league players who mm-hmm. haven't earned the same amount of money and don't have the profile or players that were kind of at that level and had to had an injury or got re- even rejected by a club. But because some people kind of, you know, they look like they're... I mean, we all know players who even start to look like they're going to burst on the scene and make it at, at quite a big club who then by the time they're then 23, 24, kind of nowhere to be seen. And we've got a couple at, at Liverpool at the moment who a few years ago, you thought, oh yeah, like Ben Woodburn, for example, who, oh, this lad's going to take the world by storm and he's get, already getting a game for Wales and he's kind of relatively innocuous now. So even somebody like that, let's just say, I'm not, I mean, I hope this doesn't happen. Let's just say he doesn't now have a particularly remarkable career and tr- struggles to get a club. Someone at that sort of level but I suppose the the injured demographic might be more uh might be more lucrative in terms of getting people <laughs> although of course if the injury is that serious to stop them playing football I mean refereeing is really physical really physical you've got to be you've got to be mega fit especially the way that the pace that the game is uh is played at uh these days Matt um did you notice by the way um we'll, we'll, ra- we'll wrap up shortly but did you notice <laughs> that Sorry. uh in the international break, I'm sure you've you know you've been following the, the, the football because I know I know how, how into it you are. That the, the I, European champions are not going to be at the World Cup. Yeah, I saw your WhatsApp message. Yeah, well, yeah, so that's why you noticed because I told you. <laughs> yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah, you have nothing to say on that, though. No. You don't think? I mean, that's well, some... I was more interested in there was a game between. Oh, sorry, this was the friendlies, Belarus and India. Oh yeah, and on top, bizarre. And on top, and on top flight time machine, they were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they sort of, yeah. But um, Belarus gave, yeah, took him to took him to task a little bit. Yeah, well, that's a big, big. <laughs> sorry, if India a... ever cracked it, you know, in terms of football. I mean, look at the number of people they've got to to sort of pull players from. Same with China. Like they are, they really are like football superpowers waiting to happen because you've got such big populations that you could have still have. It could football can still be a relatively fringe sport in those countries, but still played by about four hundred million people. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, because the populations are so massive. Um, so, yeah, uh, no, but I was. But, still, I was but just going been, back to your Italy. Go on, well, go I mean, there's nothing really to say, particularly because you evidently know nothing about it. But, <laughs> but uh, it is pretty amazing that in the space of about eight or nine months since winning the Euros and looking kind of impenetrable, winning breaking the record for the number of consecutive wins and unbeaten um, spell in international football, that they've now not qualified for the World Cup. And I actually think it's a shame for the World Cup. And it's particularly a shame because they were going to play Portugal in that kind of final qualifying eliminator. And I was desperate that they were going to stop the t- the inevitable and tedious uh, obsession that there will be by the winter of uh, Ronaldo and his last hurrah in the World Cup. And there was uh, just... Uh, one last thing on the subject of the international break. England, clearly having already qualified, only played uh, two friendlies. 
And I'm, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to stick up for a, a Manchester United player. But it, it the, the Harry Maguire got some really uh, quite unpleasant abuse um, from his own fans. I use the word fans um, cautiously. They're not fans in my eyes. Um, and uh, before the game uh, the other night against Ivory Coast. And it just really, when I heard that, it just kind of uh, crystallised for me why I'm why I struggle to get as into England as I do my club team because I just can't be on board with that. It's, it's disgraceful. I don't care how badly he's or, or not badly he's playing. He's, he's, he's for his club. I think he's become a bit of a scapegoat the last few weeks. The latest person that they're looking to blame for their you know um, inept performances and and transfer dealings and etc. for for many many years. He's the latest fall guy. Whether that's valid or not, I don't really have a particularly strong opinion. But what I will say is that from the time in the last, you know, since about 20, what, 14 or so, he, when he was playing for Hull City, I think he went for Sheffield United, Hull City, and then and then through to Leicester, and then he gets his big uh, 80 or £90 million move to Old Trafford. He has been in, pretty incredible, really, in terms of the trajectory of his career. And... His performances for England, from what I've seen of him anyway, have been pretty amazing and incredibly consistent. And he's been one of England's better players. And he's been a fundamental part of a defence that has got them to a semi-final of a World Cup and then a final of the European Championship. And he's getting abuse, which can only... It's nothing he's done in England shirts. He's done nothing wrong. So it can only be based on, oh, he's not played very well in the last few games at club level. So who are these people booing him? Are Are they fans of his club who are then turning up for an international game and booing him as if he was playing uh, at Old Trafford or are they if they're fans if they're England fans who don't like Manchester United then what they essentially are are people who are booing someone who they think is making Manchester United worse so surely that would mean he should be getting support anyway but it just sickens me and I can't get on board with it and it's um, it's why I'm I'll always be lukewarm about England and I feel sorry for Harry Maguire. He deserves better than that. And that's it. So on that bombshell of supporting a uh, a player who plays for my <laughs> most disliked club, uh, it just goes to show that there are some things that are more important than than rivalries, and that you know principles and human decency uh, are uh, kind of trump trump all that. Uh, so on that on that quite. Quite, you know, I'd say that's quite a, a pleasant and noble bombshell, even if I do say so myself. <laughs> it's time to say goodbye for another week uh, and uh, uh, enjoy the return of uh, uh, Premier League and other European leagues this weekend, which will be much better than the shit that was on last weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>